So here we are again, another beautiful Sunday. Thank God that we are able to gather together to perhaps hear his voice through my voice this morning. And I ask of you to take your Bibles out if you have them, and let's uh, turn to the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3. And our verse that we'll be concentrating on this morning is uh, verse 3. But before we read that verse, I just want to give a kind of um, intro to how we uh, hear in terms of this particular book. So last week we looked at verse 2 and spoke about the warnings that Paul gave about the false prophets. Um, Paul described them as dogs, evil workers, and mutilators. We also noted that um, this was a distinct shift in Paul's language. From Paul, as we understand and read from Scripture, is a, is a man who's full of passion, full of uh, encouragement, also full of um, challenges within those uh, encouragements. But here, his language changes from uh, uh, encouragement, from, from peace, to almost anger. I would say righteous anger. And the reason he does that is because he is so angry when people distort the gospel. And this is what the false um, prophets were aiming to do. They were distorting the gospel. As I mentioned last week, um, we see in, um, I think it's in Galatians, he, or here in Philippi, in Philippians, he speaks of those who are preaching the gospel out of a place of bad, wrong motives. He says, do not worry about them as long as the gospel has been preached. Do not stress about them. God will deal with their hearts. And then you look in Galatians where he then uh, speaks about those who are preaching. The, I think it's in Galatians. Speaking about the, the, um, preaching the gospel and distorting the gospel. When he speaks of them, he says almost they must be cursed. Fire must be, uh, must be upon them because why they are distorting the true gospel. The true gospel, and this is what the, the, the false teachers were trying to do. They were um, attempting to erode the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And as they do that, it would bring bondage upon us. The, the believers in, in Philippi, the friends of uh, Paul. So that's just uh, by way of introduction from last week, covering what we did last week. This, um, this morning we will see that there are three hallmarks um, for those who are born again believers, as we look at uh, verse 3. And in light of those three hallmarks, can I ask of us to consider each point each hallmark in your life 
Remembering that these three points are written to believers, not written to those who do not know. They're written to believers. And so I ask you to consider how these three points translate or apply to your life today. So verse 3 says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Another translation which is on the screen says it this way, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Let me go back to uh, verse 1 and verse 2 just to bring it together. Verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. And then verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and who have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul writes to his friends in Philippi. He's addressing them over, uh, over certain uh, things that he's wanting them to hear. We have, he has spoken about the, 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 mute, the, the, the false teachers in verse 2. He tells them, you're, you're to be aware of these people. You're to be aware of what they're teaching you. And I said last week, we've got to be careful of what we allow ourselves to hear. What are we listening to? We've got to be careful as to what we allow ourselves to see. What are we watching? What are we engaged in? Um, because we have the ability. It's us. It's on us. We decide what we let in and we decide what we let out. And so Paul would encourage his friends about these false teachers. And um, the legalistic, he almost points out, points out to this thing of the legalistic and the grace way of life, which are two polar um, opposites. There's legalism, which brings bondage. And then there's grace, which God, as Jesus Christ has offered us, which brings freedom. And so the, these false teachers would want us to be in, in the, in the um, side of legalism, where we are bound. So you don't come to church enough, or you don't pray enough, or you don't read the word enough, or you don't evangelize enough, you don't do these things enough, and therefore you are not worthy to be called son, daughter of the Most High. Jesus says, I have ordained, I have worked things out. I've gone ahead and prepared good works for you that you are to work, I mean, walk into. And as I said, verse 2 is such rough language from this brother Paul that we are used to. But he's, he uses such rough dogs, 
Beware of dogs. Like I said, if I call you a dog, I don't think you'd appreciate that. But this is what he says of these people. Calls them dogs. Calls them evil workers. If I say, no, you're an evil worker, I don't think you would actually appreciate that either. But he does that. The reason he does that is because of the dangerous impact legalism has on the Christian approach to life. The dangerous impact that legalism has on our approach to this life that we've been blessed with, this life that we've been given. He almost, it's an alarm. It's a, it's a summons to vigilance. It is um, uh, him calling his friends to just be aware. Wake up, beware what's happening out there because there are lots of things that are happening. We ought to be aware. Danger threatens the very essence of Christianity when we allow legalistic attitudes and ways to come and infiltrate in and be among, among us. And so this morning, the, the thesis or the theory or the argument that we are to earn credit with God by works denies or discredits the grace principle. Now I know that there's, there are grace people, which I've heard they've gone on the extreme side of it. But grace is from God. It's Jesus Christ who gives it to us. It's by His grace that we are saved. It's by His grace that we are here this morning. It's by His grace that we are healthy, as it were. It's by His grace that we love one another. But the, the, the false teachers tell us that we have to work out for our salvation. We have to do stuff. You've got to earn your, your right. You've got to do things to be approved by God. It, and if that's the case, then it puts God in man's debt. God becomes obligated to man because of all his deeds. Because of your good deeds, my good deeds, then God becomes obligated to us. I have done such good works, good stuff, therefore God, you owe me. Have you not seen what I've done? Have you not seen how many, uh, imagine if this was Paul's attitude, have you not seen how many churches I've planted? Have you not seen the shipwreck that I went through? Can you not see I'm in prison? God, you owe me. God, you owe me. However, the grace principle sets forth the theory or argument that God makes the provision and enablement of the Christian life. So the very things that we go through, the very difficulties that we go through, God has already seen them and He's allowed those things to happen in our lives for His glory. For His glory. And I said, I think it was last week, I said, he allows these things, yes, for his glory and for the rest of our benefit. So your victory, I benefit from. My victory, you benefit from. Um, not necessarily for your own, own self. Now, 
these verses give us, as I said, three hallmarks or three distinct points about those of us who are saved. The Christian, the born-again believer. He starts off by saying, um, for we are the circumcision. Paul accepted circumcision, but um, only a certain kind of circumcision. It was um, a circumcision of the heart rather than the circumcision of the flesh. It was spiritual rather than physical. And those false prophets believed in those days of ritual. You know, you had to be physically circumcised to be accepted. So you're a Gentile, you became, um, in order to become a, 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 into the Jewish accepted Christian where you had to go through this ritual. You had to be circumcised physically to be accepted. And if you, don't, if you didn't do that, then you were not accepted. This is how they, 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 um, they taught. They made a virtue of a ritual. The religious practice was the physical act rather than the spiritual act, as Paul would point out. The physical act of circumcision. I think of the scripture that speaks about, uh, be careful, you know, you, I think it speaks about, it says, you whitewashed tombs. You are, uh, or you are clean on the outside, but dead in the, uh, in the inside. You're clean, the cup looks amazing, it's clean, but inside it's dirty, it's dead. This is what they were trying to encourage. You need to look good on the outside, but they weren't concentrating on the inside, the very thing that God um, uh, cares about, our very hearts. Christianity is spiritual circumcision, not physical. Spiritual circumcision is part of our status before God eternally. It is Colossians um, 2 verse 11 that says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. But the circumcision of Christ, that is, the circumcision Christ made to us, on the cross. And so the first point, the fir- first hallmark that is to be seen by us who are saved, who are born again, is that we worship God in the Spirit. That's the first hallmark. We, as a believer, as a born again believer, as those who uh, call yourself saved, we Worship God in the Spirit. This is the first earmark of a Christian. He or she worships God, period. We worship God. This morning we worshiped Him with our songs, by our voices. We are worshiping Him. The Lord Jesus mentioned it in John 4 verse 24. He says, God is Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And we need to realize that the Holy Spirit, who's with us today, Jesus said, I need to leave so I can send you one who will be with you. And he has done that. And today 
we are empowered, we are enriched, we are guarded, we are um, uh, led by the Holy Spirit. He's our God in the Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is, is in charge of the worship department. He is in charge of the worship department. We thank God for uh, musers who help us go into the Holy of Holies in inverted commas. They lead us into there because of the good voices and the talent that God has allowed them to have. But it's Jesus Christ through His Spirit who's in charge of worship. And you see, genuine worship ties to dynamic fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So actually, if, if, if um, the Holy Spirit is in charge of worship, we need to be tied in even more so with the Holy Spirit. The truth is that we are poor worshippers because we relate so poorly to the Holy Spirit. And you see, worship is uh, worship in genuine Christianity is in the Spirit. So how does it look like? Do we uh, stand or worship God in, in, in just in tongues? I've heard arguments, guys can't speak in tongues, so therefore they are limited to worshiping God truly. How does it look like for you and I? It is more important about the inward work rather than the artwork, I mean the outward reflection of what's going on. So I can stand there and lift up my hands. I can be seen as though I'm holy than holier and all the rest. Before you, I can, I can, but what is happening inside my heart? What is happening when the doors are closed? What is happening in the secret places? That is where it counts more. And as you are uh, engaged in worshipping God through His Holy Spirit in your secret place, then suddenly and somehow it overflows into the public place as well. You cannot help it. You cannot help it. The outward form does not constitute true worship. Worship is love. We do not worship well because we do not love well. To love God is to adore Him. To love God is to magnify His holy name. To love God is to praise Him. To love God is to honor Him. It is to give Him first place. Always is to give Him first place. Not your husband. Not your wife, not your children, not your job, not your, your uh, source of income or happiness, as it were, is to give Him first place in every area of our lives. That is true worship. We adore Him, we magnify Him, we praise Him, we honor Him, and then we give Him Everything, our first love, our first place. That is true worship. See, genuine worship centers on a true relationship with God. So at this point, I have to ask this question. Do you worship God? 
Do you worship God? Well, he knows that I love him. Ever heard of that statement? That's uh, what men say to their wives. She knows that I love her. She knows. Yes, she does. But guess what? She wants to know. She wants to hear it over and over again. I even heard it, uh, it goes further than that. So, uh, you know, us guys will say, no, no, I told her the day I got married. I told her I love you. If that changes, I will let you know. But she wants to hear that you love her over and those words over and over again. I have not told my wife in years. But she knows that I love her. I haven't worshipped God in months. But he knows that I love him. But how does she know that you love it? Um, that you love her. Is she meant to read your mind? By the same token, we are not such good worshippers either. We need to cultivate, we need to remind ourselves to worship God over and over and tell Him we love Him over and over again. Tell Him that we adore Him over and over again. Not that He forgets, but we almost remind ourselves that He is the King. Because life throws all sorts of things and they mirror our vision. God is the same. He's consistent. He does not change. We need to remind ourselves that we do love Him. That despite the things that life throws at us, we do love Him. The second of the three hallmarks of those who are born again is that they rejoice in Christ Jesus. So the first is that they worship God in the Spirit. The second is that they rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now the theme of rejoicing in the Lord never became tiresome for, uh, for Paul. Celebrating Jesus' as person and work was a noticeable or an outstanding characteristic in this man's life. Though he faced a mountain or two, faced many trials and was confronted with significant problems, yet he never lost sight of the Lord. This morning, have we maybe allowed life to cause us to lose sight of our good God is, of how real He is? Have you forgotten how much where you, you, He has brought you from to where you are now, because life has happened, things have been thrown at us that has kind of caused us to be distracted. Paul, with all these things that happened, never lost sight of God. See, the word rejoice here means to speak loud, to brag, or even boast, to glory. This term 
is used both in a good and bad sense in the New Testament. But here it is used in a good sense. The phrase, the phrase in Christ Jesus indicates our position before God in Christ. It is our status in God's eyes. Our status is the same as that of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that actually? Do you believe that your status before God is the same as the status of Jesus Christ before God? Because Christ is in, is in us. Now that's a hard statement to make. He is perfect um, righteousness. So you and I are perfect in our perfect righteousness in our position. Not in our experience, but in our position before God. Now this statement completely counters every legalistic movement or thinking. That you, my dear friends, uh, have perfect righteousness before God. The legalistic way says, no, no, you've got to earn. You've got to make yourself righteous. You've got to do stuff so you can be righteous. So God can see you as righteous. But actually, can I, can I tell you this? When God looks at you outside of Jesus, nothing of you he desires. That's another very hard statement to make. Nothing of your flesh he desires. But when he looks at you, at you uh, in Jesus, he desires all of you and everything that you have. See, legalism tries to impress God by what man does. Grace accepts the provision of God by what Jesus Christ has done. These two viewpoints are radically opposites. The focal point of grace is Jesus Christ. Our rejoicing has its focal point in Him. Not in our ability to live up to God's expectations. And some of those expectations we know, the word says. But every single expectation that God has uh, for us. Think about the Ten Commandments. Those are expectations. How many of us here can say that we have lived in our Christian life and honored, ticked every single one of those commandments? If, can I see you show of hands? I'm glad you guys are honest, because if I saw a hand, I was going to say, well, you are already failing in one of those commandments. Our boast is not in ourselves. It is in Jesus Christ and His work. Those ten commandments, we cannot, commandments, we cannot achieve them by ourselves. We cannot do them by ourselves. But Jesus Christ in us helps us. He helps us to love your neighbor. He helps us to forgive those who have hurt you. As hard as, in fact, by yourself, it's very difficult. But with him, it's that much easier. Not completely easy, but easier. See, the reason for the Three B, B ways in verse 2, as I said earlier, is that the danger is in minimizing the work of Christ 
and maximizing the work of the believer. We do not brag about ourselves. We brag about Jesus Christ. We do not glory in ourselves. We glory in Christ Jesus. Legalism says I have to do, to do, to do so that I can be approved. Grace says Jesus Christ has done it for us. And we have to be thankful in him because of that. And as we follow him, we, we exalt him. So we, we find ourselves wanting to love him even more. And so the third and hallmark of those who are born again is we have no confidence in the flesh. The first one was we worship God in the spirit. The second one is that we rejoice in Jesus Christ because he has done it all. We, we glory in him. We find our being and our, our, our everything in him. We don't glory in ourselves. We don't exalt ourselves. We exalt him for what he's done. And the number three is that we have no confidence in the flesh. Now, the word for no, the commentators say that it is a strong term in the Greek. Those who live by grace do not have an ounce of confidence in the flesh. Now this flesh, there is a, there's a revelation or teaching that I, that I heard that has almost completely changed my, my life and my artwork in, in the Christian life, um, in this life God has allowed me to, 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 to have. We are saved in three dimensions. We are saved when we give our, our, our lives to Christ. Then we are saved, number two, through the work of the sanctification, so we are being saved um, and then one day we will be completely saved. Glorification. One day we will, be, we will have full bodies at work. And um, we will have glorified bodies. Now the one thing that I have battled uh, in my life as a, as a born-again Christian is that I am saved, okay? But then why is it that I desire sin? Why? Why do I desire sin? But I, I, I've been saved. But I desire sin. I desire to do things that are not right. I desire to, to um, please me. I desire to give me. I desire to make myself better. I desire me, me, me. But I'm saved. I'm going to be with God one day. Yet here I am. It's almost a contradiction. When I get saved, I uh, uh, almost think that all of these things should also die. I should not desire the things of the world. But it's not the case. And when I learned that, obviously when you give your heart, I say obviously, it's not obvious, but it's, it's a learning that I've, when you give your heart to Christ, you are saved, your spirit in you is saved. Then there's a mind and soul, emotions, those, that's, that's still being worked out. And then you get your flesh, your body. That thing 
this body is not going to be saved. It's not going to be saved. This is why it's, it's dying. That's why it says from dust to dust. We come and we go back into the dust. It has not been said, but there is a war between the Spirit of God, in inverted commas, and our flesh with, and our brain. Uh, so the Spirit of God is speaking to us, saying, no, no, you need, to be the, you need to follow God in this way, but in your flesh is fighting against us. Say, no, 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 you must, dis- you must give me. I want, I want. And so who are you going to give? Who are you going to give attention to? The Spirit of God or your flesh? Can I tell you that even after you've been saved for many years, in one instant you can mess up a whole bunch of your life. You can destroy your life. In an instant. Even though you've been saved and walking with God for many years. How is that possible? (laughs) You are saved. How is it possible? Because the flesh is forever. It it is is working against you. It's not working with you. It's working against you. And so what do we need to do with Christ Jesus' help? Is that we subdue the the flesh. We... um, the word says that we um, wash ourselves with the word of God. The brain, it's in the brain that you make decisions. It's in your brain that you, de- you decide to serve God. It's in the brain that you, de- you decide to have better fear. It's in the brain. It's not, it's not the Spirit of God who told you to do it. It's in the brain that you decide to do these things. So guess what? We need to give ourselves to the Spirit of God. Our brains need to be washed by the word of God. Paul was not convinced that the flesh could earn any credit in God's eyes. Both his salvation and Christian walk were dependent upon grace, upon the grace of God. Are you, are you with me this morning? Uh, man, that thing has just messed up. My, it's helped me, but it's, it messed up my thinking. Because I thought I'm saved. Therefore, I should almost be walking on water. I should, I should, I should be floated. But guess what? <laughs> I've been sinking. But because of God's grace, I'm able to follow I'm able to worship him in truth, in, in, in earnestness. I'm able to please him because of his grace. See, the flesh is our sin capacity. There is nothing in the flesh that can impress God. Did you hear that? There's nothing in your flesh, your body, your member that can impress God. There is nothing, nothing um, in us, in our flesh, that God wants or can use. Now that's not easy to take. Why? Because it injures our pride. It injures our pride. We chafe because we believe somehow we can earn credit before, before God. We have the idea that God should be impressed. 
He should be impressed that we are Christians and living the Christian life. God should be impressed with my living, my life. I'm, I'm following Him. I'm, I'm a Christian. No. The only person God is impressed with is Jesus Christ. And that is why we rejoice in Christ Jesus. God places no higher value on a Christian's flesh than on a non-Christian's flesh. No higher value. Now earlier on Paul began this verse with the word with the words we are the circumcision. The flesh has been circumcised positionally in Christ. The flesh never gets better. It never improves. It never improves. Our stand, but our standing before God in Christ is perfect from the moment we receive Christ in our life. It be- it became perfect the moment we received him. The moment we accepted him, it became our standing before him became perfect. That is why we rejoice in him. So even after, as I said, years of godly living, the flesh is not one bit better than the day we became Christians. God can be glorified only by Christ Jesus in us. Only through the Holy Spirit. Only in Him does He find pleasure. Only in us singing through the Holy Spirit does He receive our our praises. Only in Christ Jesus does He accept our righteousness. Not in our own righteousness. Not in our own efforts. Not in our own, you've got to, you've got to. No, no, all in Jesus Christ. God looks at us and sees Christ in us and says, I am pleased. God is always glorified by what Christ has done, not but what we have done. In conclusion, we thank God for sending His Son to die on the cross and we thank God for the work that He did on the cross for us. Because of that work, um, it, you know, in Galatians 5 it says, it's for freedom that we have been set free. The false teachers would come and want to put bondage upon us. Say, no, you have to do these things so you can be set free. If you don't tick those boxes, that you're, then you're not free. But Jesus Christ comes and says, if you just believe in me, I, then I, I have set you free. I have, I've set you free. Just believe in me. And walk in my ways. And as you do that, it brings glory to my Father. We rejoice in Christ Jesus because God is glorified by what Christ Jesus has done. Christians should have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in your flesh. And if you have confidence in your flesh, can I just remind you that your flesh is dying. It has died. It is 
getting older, it is becoming weaker, it is dying. And one day it will return to the ground. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this understanding, Father. It's your busy, yes, you're busy working in us. And helping us, Lord, to live a life that glorifies you. But that life can only be uh, lived in a way that glorifies you through Jesus Christ. In our own efforts, we cannot attain it. We cannot get to it, Father. And I ask Jesus that you'd help us where we have maybe fallen short of these things. God, forgive us and help us to see the truth. Thank you, Lord, that we are free in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that we can live this Christian life that you've given us, you've blessed us with, to your glory, for our benefit as as, um, friends and believers but to your glory, King Jesus. Have your way with with us, I ask this morning. Bless my friends. Bless uh, this church, God. Bless the churches out there. God, bless your children, the Christians. Show them the truth that you may walk and live this life in a way that brings glory to you and that we may enjoy this life despite all the uh, challenges. May we be like Paul, never losing sight of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen.